Well, good morning, everybody at Stapleton Baptist. I'm so glad to be back with you again this morning as we continue our march toward Easter. I uh, hope you enjoyed your, uh, your worship this morning. Uh, thanks to Mark and Becky and, and Hannah for putting that together. The folks are really working overtime to try and figure out a way to make church the way we're used to having it uh, work just through technology. So we're trying new things every week and we're trying to make it better every week. Hopefully we won't have to figure out new ways to only do this distance every week for much longer. But in the interest of keeping everybody safe, here we are. So today we're going to read uh, one of the more famous Old Testament prophetic passages. It's going to be Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 through 14. This is also another great passage to help get us ready for Easter, and it's an interesting text, I think, for Palm Sunday, uh, but it is a traditional text for Palm Sunday. So if you'll get out your Bible and you'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, we're going to read verses 1 through 14, and I'll be reading this in, in my Bible right now, and as we go through uh, the rest of the sermon this morning, you'll see it up on your screen in front of you, but Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, Lord God, you know. And again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain as they may, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Let's pray and then we're going to start studying this passage. Uh, together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to study it together, Lord, and see that resurrection has always been a major part of your plan, Lord, that we're not promised that uh, we're going to make it out of this lifetime uh, with our physical bodies intact. We're not promised that everything's going to go okay during our first trip here on earth, Lord, but we have the hope that you, Jesus, have defeated death and that your promises and your covenants will be fulfilled even if we have to wait a thousand years, even if we have to wait 10,000 years, it will only add to your glory and show how great you are, that you are faithful even over the eons. However long it may take, you will fulfill your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we study Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, 
You're probably saying, what in the world are we doing this for on Palm Sunday? It's, Josh, this is a little odd that we're doing this on Palm Sunday. Shouldn't we be reading passages about Jesus riding into Jerusalem and the palm branches coming out in front of them and them crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, but um, we're going to read a passage today about resurrection. Because the fact of the matter is, if there's not resurrection, which is what Easter is all about, then Jesus riding into Jerusalem on, on the donkey doesn't matter. The entire earthly ministry of Jesus doesn't matter if there's no resurrection. And the, a lack of resurrection hope really puts it, I mean, it ends Christianity. It ends, there's no reason to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ if there's no such thing as resurrection. So we're going to talk about resurrection some this morning. We're going to talk about it from the perspective of fear and doubt. Uh, do any of you have any fear and doubt right now? Uh, maybe you've watched the news here recently. Maybe your life has been disrupted. Maybe it's been disrupted financially. Maybe it's been uh, disrupted emotionally or, or it's, it's messing with your anxiety that things are a little bit different uh, than, than you're used to having them be. Uh, this has been weeks now that you haven't been sitting in your regular seat in this church um, that it's odd for me that I'm standing here, I'm preaching right now, and there's nobody in this room but me, me and Jesus. Um, but I'm talking to you knowing that you're going to listen to this uh, in a few hours, uh, but it's still odd that there's nobody in here other than, than me right now physically in the flesh um, that, that, that toys with me, that makes me feel odd. It makes me feel uncomfortable when my normalcy is, is disturbed. Uh, but here we are. That's what's, that's what's happening. Um, maybe you're, you have fear and doubt over your own death. The, you know, the greatest of all fears. That, uh, that final moment. The idea that there's finality. So much finality and that we kind of push it out of our minds on a daily basis to try and forget that it's even there. And When death rears its ugly head, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of the big one. That this is the fear. Um, so, uh, what I want us to see first is that God acknowledges our fears and doubts. He knows about them. God knows your fear and doubts. He knows exactly what you're afraid of right now. Look at the first three verses of Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. Well, I want to point out a couple of things about this passage. It's going to involve me jumping back to having the text on the screen. Uh, so you're going to have to just rely on me pointing things out to you much like you would if you had your own Bible. But there are some, some interesting and crucial parts of the text that we need to pay attention to before we can interpret it. So first, I want you to look and see that Ezekiel says the hand of the Lord came upon him and brought him out in the spirit of the Lord and set him down in the midst of the valley. So this is not so much a physical transportation of Ezekiel somewhere that this is a vision. God is showing him something. Uh, this is not a literal event that is occurring right there as Ezekiel sees it. He is seeing it. God is showing him something, but he's showing him something to make a point. Uh, that Ezekiel, this isn't literally physically happening. This is a vision. Now, that doesn't mean this cannot physically, literally happen at some point in the future. In fact, I'm going to make the argument that that's exactly what Ezekiel is seeing is, you know, maybe not, you know, from a giant mass grave or these bones 
going to rise up, but the idea is eventually that there is going to be a great resurrection through which God fulfills all the promises he's made to us. So Ezekiel is in the spirit of the Lord and God sits him down in the midst of this uh, ecstatic visions valley. And looking out, Ezekiel sees the valley and it's full of bones. Uh, this would have been very disconcerting to Ezekiel, uh, much like it would have been to you or me, but Ezekiel's a priest. Um, and an, an Israelite priest was not allowed to touch uh, dead bodies. And so all of a sudden he finds himself in this body full of bones. Uh, but just because he couldn't touch them doesn't mean he doesn't know something about them. Dead bones come from what? They come from dead bodies. They come from dead people. Uh, so Ezekiel is looking at this valley full of bones. And God causes him to pass by them all around. That God doesn't want him to just get the, the 30,000 foot view. He wants him to get the up close and personal Ezekiel, I want to make sure you know what you're looking at you. So he causes them to pass by them all around. And, and Ezekiel points out uh, a few things about him or about, about the bones to begin with. That There are lots of them. First, he says, you know, he, there were very many. Where were they? They were in an open valley. So that's the second thing. And then third, they were very, very dry. Uh, so let's talk about what those three things he notices mean. First, we know that the number of the dead is immense. That this is not just a few people who have died. This is potentially an entire nation that has died. Think about how many people it would take for an entire valley to be full of bones. So Ezekiel looks out and he sees the number of these dead people are immense. Second, they've received no burial. That this was shameful. That these bones are just laying out in the open. They've received no burial. They're not in a tomb. Um, they, they just seem to be laying out there uh, in shame. Uh, and then finally, the third thing Ezekiel notices is that they're very dry. Um, so let's just think for just a second about science. Um, how does something get dry when it's left outside? The, the sun shines on them. These are not recently uh, deceased bones. This is seeming really macabre, isn't it? But yet here we are in Ezekiel 37 that these bones are out here in this valley. There's an immense number of them that they're in the open valley. They've received no burial. Uh, they're, they're under some form of shame. And then they've also been dead for a very, very, very long time. They didn't just die yesterday. This is not something that just occurred. And then God asks Ezekiel a rhetorical question. He says, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Now, it's always interesting when God asks a question because you never have to say, what about this does God not understand? That there's not an, a question that God can conceivably ask that he doesn't know the answer to. So anytime God asks a question, he's, he's almost kind of doing what we would call the Socratic method now, that you're teaching a student by asking a question, uh, that God wants Ezekiel to puzzle through this himself, or at least take a position. You know, son of man, can these bones live? Is there anything that can be done about this incredible sight that you've seen? And Ezekiel's a little hesitant to answer. So generally in the Jewish mind, death was somewhat final. That if you go back and you look, the, the general thought was that when a person dies, uh, that's kind of it. That's the way it is for the Old Testament. You say, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. There's this idea. It, it, they were not annihilationists. They did not believe that when you died, that was it, that there was no part of you that lived on. Uh, no, they weren't, they weren't annihilationists. They didn't believe like that. But at the same time, the idea of resurrection from, you know, General Joe Schmo on the street in ancient Israel, that was not really a thing. 
Um, that was theology that they kind of figured out uh, along the time. And I use the words figured out for a reason. Uh, that that's not something that God just you know says early on in the Old Testament. Oh, by the way, I'm going to bring back everybody from the dead one day. But there were some people in the Old Testament that figured it out. And we're going to see that a little bit later, that uh, God asks Ezekiel this question. He says, can these bones live? Is what you see final? And Ezekiel says, Lord God, you know. That Ezekiel knows this about God. Ezekiel knows that God's all-knowing. Ezekiel knows if he's asking a question, he's not actually looking for information. He's waiting for Ezekiel's answer. He wants to know where Ezekiel is. And Ezekiel, like a smart student, doesn't want to get caught in a trick question. So he says, oh, Lord God, you know. Now, why would God ask this question? Why would God ask this question? God asked this question because of the state that Israel was in uh, at the time this book was written that they have, we'll see a little bit later in this passage, they've all but given up on the fulfillment of the covenant, that it's, it's a lost cause. They're afraid of where they are. They're afraid of what they're dealing with. They're afraid of their circumstances. Let me ask you this question. What's your greatest fear right now? What's your greatest fear right now? Are you afraid maybe of finances? Are you afraid maybe of virus-driven cultural changes? Are you afraid of death itself? You know, finances. I, I know I, I'm not oblivious to the fact that there are businesses out there that are closing. There are people that are losing jobs. I mean, you can look out right now that unemployment in the United States, those who have filed for unemployment are higher than at any point in this nation's history because this virus has come through and basically put a halt on everything. That restaurants are closing, businesses are closing, people are losing jobs, and when you lose your job, you lose your income. When you lose your income, uh, you can lose your car, you can lose your house, uh, you can lose all kinds of other things. That I'm sure finances are, man, they're terrifying a lot of us right now. Um, so finances, you know, something financially going going south might be one of your greatest fears. You got a family to take care of. Uh, maybe you're afraid of the virus. Um, things going on right now causing uh, widespread cultural change uh, that, you know, hey, I'm not sitting in my church right now. It's been weeks now. How long are they going to want me to not be here? You know, is somebody going to come and try and take away my church? You know, what's going what's to happen? Are they going to start arresting me if I go out? Am I going to have to wear a, a face mask every time I go out of my house right now? I'm, I'm afraid for my wife. I'm afraid for my kids. I'm afraid for my parents. Uh, there's just this constant drumbeat of anxiety, of worry, and every time you turn on the news, there's just one more thing for us to be worried about, one more thing for us to panic about. The, the doomsday clock has ticked one more second closer to midnight, you know, something like that. Maybe you're afraid of, of cultural changes like that. Maybe you're afraid of your life just changing because change makes us uncomfortable. Or maybe you're afraid of the big one itself. Maybe you're afraid of death. Maybe that's your greatest fear. Um, I know there have actually been some polls in the past that have shown that there are people who are more afraid of public speaking than they are of death. I question the scientific accuracy of some of those polls, but uh, death is the great fear because it's the, you know, why are you afraid of, you know, why are kids afraid of monsters? They're afraid of getting gobbled up because they're afraid of dying. Um, you know, why are we afraid of roller coasters? Because we know that if it drops, we die. It's not the height that we're afraid of. It's what we're, we're afraid of what would happen if we fell from that height. We're afraid of dying. So what's your greatest fear right now? And then ask yourself this question, which of those fears have Jesus and his finished work not conquered? Is there a single fear that Jesus and his finished work have not conquered? And the answer is very clearly uh, no. So that when God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel goes, I'm not, I'm not sure. 
I don't really know. Well, can your can are your finances going to end your life if if they go? Oh, that's the that's the wrong slide. My greatest fear is technology not helping me right now. Uh, if your finances go south, is that the worst possible thing that could happen? If your culture changes, is that the worst possible thing that could happen? Is death right now the worst possible thing uh, that could happen? I want you to look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 31 through 33. Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God is not saying he doesn't know what you need. God is not saying he doesn't know what you're afraid of. God is aware of all of that. He is aware of your financial troubles. He is aware of your cultural fears. He is aware of your fear of death right now. He gets all of that. He knows what you need. He knows that you need that stuff that they've been out of at Ingalls for 15 days. He knows that you need that. And yet he tells you, don't worry about it. Why? Because God, because your father, his father in heaven already knows that you need these things. That your belief that God knows and loves you and knows that you need these things should trump your fear that those things are the worst possible thing. Okay, so God already knows the things you need. And then second, I want you to see this incredibly encouraging passage from Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And this is John speaking. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. Church, listen to me. I'm going to go on a tangent right now. I don't even have this on my notes, but I'm going to go off on a tangent. So there you go. This is going to be a 15-minute longer sermon. No, it's not. You know what the greatest witness you can have in the world right now is? Don't panic. Don't panic. Just don't do it. Say, so, well, Josh, there's a lot to panic about. Well, yes, if you don't have a God who has overcome death, look at what Jesus says. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Do you know that coronavirus doesn't get the last say? Do you know that that pink slip doesn't get the last say? Do you know that that diagnosis doesn't get the last say? That whatever it is right now that has got you terrified out of your mind, it does not get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. Jesus says, I, I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. That there is nothing that gets to say, hang on, Jesus, I get to have my turn. Jesus can say, no, I possess the keys to death and Hades. I can do what I want, when I want. And for those of us who know that Jesus loved us enough to die for us, isn't it comforting to know that someone who loves you that much and has that kind of power is looking out for you? Now, did I, prom did I just tell you that God had promised you are never going to go through trouble in this world? Absolutely not. Because we're going to see in just a second, Scripture promises the exact opposite. Scripture promises you're going to have trouble in this world. But what I am telling you is that God is aware of your fears. He's aware of your anxieties. He is aware of your doubts. And his response is to tell you, you don't need to worry because I'm big enough, I can handle it. I'm big enough, I can handle it. So uh, first, we want to see that God understands our fears and our doubts. He knows about them. But now what to do about them? What are we supposed to do about them? Well, let's look at the next section of this sermon. 
God is bigger than your fears and your doubts. God's bigger than your fears and your doubts. Uh, when you look at, at verse 4, Ezekiel 37, 4 through 10, again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I got two questions about this passage right here. First, I want you to look at what God tells Ezekiel to say. He says, prophesy to these bones and say to them. So Ezekiel, you say to the bones, stand up here on this cliff, yell down at those bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of Ezekiel. Nope, it doesn't say hear the word of Ezekiel. What does it say? O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Stop for just a second and ask you, who is talking? God is talking. God is speaking through Ezekiel to the bones. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. So if God is talking to the bones through Ezekiel and Ezekiel is saying, thus says the Lord, Ezekiel is not the one who says he is going to cause breath to enter into the bones. Ezekiel is not the one who's going to put sinews on the bones. Ezekiel is not the one who's going to bring flesh upon the bones. Ezekiel is not going to cover the bones with skin and put breath in them. Who's going to do that? God's going to do that. God's going to do that. That Ezekiel has just been told, obey me and say what I told you to say, and you let me handle the rest. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now let's look, look at the next verses. So I prophesied as I was commanded. So God gives Ezekiel this task and says, all you got to do is talk. Just open your mouth. Talk. I will take care of the rest. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Again, who's doing this? Is Ezekiel doing this? No, God's already said. He's going to be the one that does this. So Ezekiel prophesies, Ezekiel talks, God does the work. Look next. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. God is saying this to the breath. Ezekiel is merely saying what God told him to say. This, these are God's words coming out of Ezekiel's mouth. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breathe and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. So Ezekiel has done nothing but what God told him to do. And that's, that's all God wanted him to do. All God wanted him to do was just trust him and obey him and say, you know what? If you will just worry about doing what I told you to do, then I will worry about all of the miraculous stuff. Simple obedience from you, Ezekiel, is what I want. You just look out at the bones and you say what I tell you to say, and I'll take care of everything else. God commands Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones and the breath. He doesn't command Ezekiel to raise the dead. He just tells him to talk. He just tells him to speak. He doesn't say raise anything. 
He doesn't say resurrect anybody. He says prophesy, which is just a fancy way of saying Ezekiel, say what God tells you to say. God himself was going to be the one who did the raising, and it was God speaking to them through Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel does this, and then in response, the bones and breath respond to the power of God operating through Ezekiel's obedience. Do you know that God doesn't ask you to overcome your fears and your doubts? God doesn't ask you to overcome your fears and your doubts. He asks you to trust him and obey the one that has. You know who has? Jesus. Jesus has overcome your fears and your doubts. We celebrate right now, today is Palm Sunday. We sang, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. We know that Jesus is king. We know that Jesus um, has power. And yet, we get put in the face of something like COVID-19. We get put in the face of something like coronavirus. We get put in the face of something like the prospect of losing our job. And all of a sudden, we're like, how do I get out of this? How do I fix this? How do I live through this? How do I do this? Let me tell you something. And I'm, I'm not going to call names. But a very prominent, charismatic televangelist this week if you want to know who it is, call me. I will give you a link. <laughs> a very prominent, charismatic televangelist this week put his hand toward the TV screen and rebuked coronavirus and named and claimed that it was over, it was done, that, that Jesus Christ has said this thing was defeated right then, that he demanded a vaccine come out right now, and that this be over, and he commanded this destroyer to get off his throne, and da 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 the four days after he did that, the death toll went higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. Wait a minute. If Jesus told him that, shouldn't that death toll have gone lower and lower and lower or just vanished entirely? Was Jesus defeated? No, Jesus was not defeated. Jesus had just not given this man a prophecy. Jesus did not promise that our trouble was not going to go away. In fact, Jesus promised this. In John 16, it says, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, it has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. That's a good reminder to all of us who are shut up in our house right now. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Not in your plans, not in your understanding, not in your ability to fix whatever problems you find yourself in, but in Jesus you may have your peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. It's going to happen. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God's encouragement to you is this. You might lose your job now. You may be in dire financial straits now. You may get sick with coronavirus right now. That the way the country operates may irrevocably change after all this is over. You may never get to go back to normalcy the way normalcy was. And yes, you or someone you know very well could die from this. I could die from this. I could die from something else. A car could hit me going across the road on the way home. I don't know. 
I'm not promised that just because I know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not going to have trouble in this world. In fact, I'm promised the opposite, that in this world, I'm going to have trouble. But the good news is that the Son of God came to earth and bore flesh. The Word became flesh. He took on everything about humanity there is and lived a perfect human life, yet without sin, and took my place on the cross. He died bearing all the sin that I have, and he was buried for me, and three days later, he rose for me. That's what we're going to celebrate next Sunday, is that Jesus is alive. He has overcome the greatest fear there is, death. Have you ever contemplated how successful the IRS is getting money from a dead person? A dead person doesn't have to pay anybody. Jesus died once. He's not going to die again. There's no more reason to fear anymore. And my life is bound up in Jesus. So that even if I die today, guess what? I'm going to laugh at death in the end because if, if coronavirus kills this body, I have a God who will give me a new one. That I may end up broken, destitute on this earth, but I'll have treasure in heaven because I know the Lord Jesus Christ. That I might lose everything on this earth, but I will not lose Jesus. That's God's comfort. God's comfort is not everything's going to be perfect here. God's comfort is you've got me there. And one day you'll have me here too. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And then second, listen to what Paul says about right now. Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or virus or lost job or, or whatever? That's not in there. You can see. You can, you can look right there. I, I added that because I feel like that's, that's the idea. As it is written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. It's like, oh, well, do we need to worry right now that the, that the government is... Is they're going to use this to clamp down on the church and we're not going to be allowed to worship anymore. And, you know, where is this going to go? Let me tell you all something. And, and I don't want to sound like a fatalist. I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be a sensationalist. Uh, but the situation we live in in the United States right now is odd. Uh, we can gather freely. We can worship freely. Well, we can't gather freely right now. But that's out of love for our brother. But the idea that I can just post this openly on the internet, and you can come listen to it, that most of you probably have multiple Bibles in your house, that you're legally allowed to be a Christian. You know that it took several hundred years of the Roman Empire before it was actually legal to be a Christian? Y'all, Christians have been persecuted for thousands of years. If we began to be persecuted that would actually be returning to the norm through world history. That would be an outlier for us, but it would be a return to the norm as far as world history is concerned. What if culture changes? What if people began to jail us or hurt us just because we're Christians? Paul says, he's quoting Old Testament, for your sake we're killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, including persecution, including jailing, including slaughter, 
Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That Ezekiel saw this valley of dry bones that have been dead for a very long time. There are so many of them that you can't even count them. They're in this open valley in open shame. And God says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, I don't know. And God says, well, you talk to him. You say what I tell you to say and you'll find out. And the next thing Ezekiel knows, all he does is just trust and obey God. And those bones start rising up. There's sinew, there's skin, there's muscle. There's facial features. There's humanity rising up. But there's no breath in them. So God says, talk to him again. And breath enters their lungs and they stand up and they become this exceedingly great army. And God says, Ezekiel, I'm bigger than this. I can't just overcome a little death. I can overcome all death and I can do it with a word. God's big enough. God is big enough. There is not a single thing threatening you right now that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has not overcome. Maybe it's not, and I'm going off script again, Maybe it's not something physical you fear. Maybe you're afraid that you're so far down in the bottom of the barrel that not even God can bring you out. That you've sinned too much, you've gone too far, you've been gone too long, that maybe, just maybe, you're even out of God's reach. Let me tell you something. You're not. God can speak to you just like that valley of dry bones and He can raise you up and He can give you life. You don't need to say, oh, well, I'm too far gone, that I'm... I'm in this valley and my bones are very dry. I don't know if these bones can live. Let me tell you something. They can. Those bones can live. So third, we first we saw that God knows about and acknowledges your fears. Second, we found out that God's bigger than your fears and doubts. And then finally, I want us to see that God is faithful through fears and doubts. God's faithful uh, through fears and doubts. So let's look starting at verse 11. Uh, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Okay, so we knew that this was a vision to begin with. We knew that this wasn't literal. So now God is explaining uh, his parable here uh, that he's shown Ezekiel. He's telling us what this is. And he's saying, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry. It's been too long, God. Our hope is lost. We ourselves are cut off. Now, this is interesting language. Cut off. Uh, that God, we typically think of God and his relationship with Israel in the context of something called a covenant. It's effectively an ancient contract in the world. And you would cut a covenant with somebody that typically at the outset of a covenant in the ancient, ancient world, you know, an animal would be, uh, you know, kind of divided into. Uh, so in folks have walked between, there's just this ritual thing goes, you can see it in the Old Testament. You can see it back in Genesis that God makes a covenant with Abraham and there's an animal cut in two that they walk uh, between. I should have actually put that on your screen so you could see it. I didn't think about it until right now. Uh, but maybe I'll drop it in the comments or something when I post it on Facebook or the website later so that you can look that up. But a covenant was typically cut. You know, that's how we kind of say, you know, I cut a deal with somebody. You know, where did that language come from? Well, you cut the deal. You make the deal. You make the agreement. So God cuts covenant with Israel in the Old Testament. And when somebody is removed from a covenant, they are cut off. So you have a covenant cut with you. And when you're removed from it, you are cut off. So they say our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. And we ourselves are cut off. 
The covenant's over. We've given up on it. It's gone. We don't think it's going to be fulfilled. But God says, therefore prophesy. Therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, you've got to watch church. Go back and see what the word therefore is therefore. And God says, therefore, because they believe their bones are dry, their hope is lost, and they're cut out. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people. My people. They thought they were cut off. They thought they was hopeless. But how does God refer to them? My people. He hasn't forgotten them. Behold, O my people, I will open up your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I've opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. You know, I was reading commentary, getting ready for this sermon, and I actually read one. I'll show it to you if we ever get back actually in the same room. Um, there are actually a good number of commentators who will put in bold letters, this is not a passage about literal resurrection. Really? Because it looks to me like God said, then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. And their reason for saying this can't be a passage that's about literal resurrection is they say, well, this wasn't really the categories that ancient Israel thought in. That they really thought of death kind of as final, that when a person died, their soul would go to Sheol, and you don't really come back from Sheol. That Sheol is the place where dead people go. You go to Abraham's bosom. That's kind of just it. And the covenants carry on with those with those who live. That there's not really the concept of, of death being something that you bounce back from. And so they say, well, that being the way that they thought about death, this is not really uh, a passage about literal physical resurrection because they wouldn't have thought that way. To which my response is maybe them not thinking that way is the problem. And that's why God gives Ezekiel this passage and asks him the rhetorical question, can these bones live? Ezekiel, can death get in the way of me fulfilling my covenant with my people Israel, whom I promised I was going to bring into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I promised Abraham that it was going to belong to his descendants who were going to be as numerous as the stars on the sky and the sand on the seashore. I promised him that this was going to happen. So now they're looking around and they're seeing death. They're seeing destruction. They're seeing the falling apart of what they think is the covenant. And they're convinced that the covenant's over. It's all falling apart and it's impossible. We are cut off that God's not able to fulfill his word. And God says, y'all, if death gets in the way of me fulfilling my covenant, I will just undo death. I will open your graves up. I will sit your feet back on the ground. I will breathe life into you. I will put sinews and muscle and blood vessels and hearts. I will put your bodies back together and I will move you physically to the promised land if I have to, to fulfill the covenant that I made with Abraham. God says, I will just, death is a problem, so I will just undo death. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken in and performed it. Now, if you notice, God doesn't just say he's going to put any spirit in them. He's going to put his spirit in them. Now, if you're a Christian, this is poking your, this is perking your ears up right now. Because when we're saved, who comes to dwell in us? When we give our life to Jesus Christ and we're purified by the blood of his sacrifice and we're cleansed of our sin and, and we the old goes away and the new has come, what is it that immediately happens to us that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit? That the new covenant is in Jesus' blood and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. We live. We live anew. 
just like God told Ezekiel was going to happen in Ezekiel 37. Guys, this is us. Not just ethnic Israel, but all the promises, all the covenants that God made, they belong to anybody who will put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody who comes to Jesus Christ gets not only the Spirit, but the Spirit as the guarantee of the inheritance of all the other promises God has made. That God is going to bring us into a land that is our home. A land without worry about pink slips or diagnoses or COVID-19 or death. It's all going to be gone. The tears are going to be wiped away. The old is going to go away. The new is going to come. The former way of things is going to pass away. And we just get to dwell with Jesus forever. That's the promise that God made us. And if death gets in the way of that, God just said, I'll undo death. And that's exactly what he did in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to look at Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, in case you wondered whether or not uh, they figured out resurrection in the Old Testament. I think it's absolutely silly to say this passage can't be about resurrection because they didn't understand it that way, when Scripture itself says that people who had faith in God did understand that resurrection worked that way. Look at Hebrews chapters 11, chapter 11, 17 through 19. Uh, the author of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. So to explain this, God had given Abraham Isaac and said, All of the promises that I made you are going to go down through Isaac. He's going to be your heir. He's going to be the one that inherits everything that I told you you were going to have. And then, in Genesis 22, I believe, God goes to Abraham and says, Hey, Abraham, I want you to walk Isaac up this mountain, up Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And in shock and awe, Abraham does it. We're all like, what in the world are you doing, Abraham? Didn't God tell you that this was going to be the heir and you're walking up there? Doesn't God intend you to say, no, Jesus, I trust you that you promised he's going to live? No, Abraham doesn't do that. Abraham walks up and gets ready to sacrifice him. Why did he do that? Why was he so confident? The author of Hebrews gives us the answer. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham logicked it out. He said, okay, I believe that God is going to fulfill the promise that he made to me. He made this covenant with me. He promised me that all of the promises he made me are going to go through my son Isaac, and he has also just told me to give my son Isaac as a sacrifice. So if I give my son Isaac as a sacrifice, he's going to die. But God always tells the truth. So if Isaac dies as a result of my sacrifice, and God's promise says that Isaac is going to inherit the promises, then that just must mean somewhere between Isaac's death and the inheritance of the promises, God is going to resurrect Isaac so that he can inherit the promises. Abraham logically figured out resurrection based purely on his trust in the promises of God. That Abraham looked at his worldly circumstances and says, you know what? God is bigger than this. I trust him. God's promises are going to be fulfilled. It doesn't matter what else happens in the meantime. And finally, Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 through 11. <clears throat> John says, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they, this is the church, overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. We look at this passage and come to, to grips with the grim fact that they're talking about the church as overcomers. That they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. But their overcoming did not involve their earthly survival.
They did not love their lives unto death. How was it that they overcame? That they looked at the situation and said, do you know what? What I have in Jesus is worth so much to me that I will give up anything on this earth so that I can have that. I'm not going to betray Jesus for anything. Not my money, not my job, not my reputation, not my life. That I will hold fast to my testimony, trusting in the blood of the Lamb. That was how they overcame. They didn't come up, they didn't go to war, they didn't come up with a solution to, to overthrow the persecutors. They didn't, they didn't do any of that. They peacefully said, I will stay faithful to Jesus no matter what happens to me. That was the source of their peace. And that's the source of your peace too. You can overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. You can overcome in the same way. And that's what Jesus calls you to do. And that's what I'm begging you to do right now. That Jesus promises if you come to him, regardless of your fears, regardless of your doubts, regardless of whether you're scared of finances, whether you're scared of the virus, whether you're scared of your job, whether you're scared of your family, whether you're scared of your own death, whether you're scared of the death of somebody else, Jesus says, I'm not going to promise you on this earth that you're not going to have to deal with any, with, with any of those things that you're not going to have to deal with any of those things. You may have to deal with any of them. You may have to deal with all of them. God forbid, I pray that you don't. But even if you do, Jesus says, you can overcome this world in which you will have trouble by my blood, that's Jesus, by my blood and the word of your testimony. You can give your life to Jesus Christ right now and have guaranteed victory over the world and anything that may happen. Let me tell you how you can do that. You can confess to God that you're a sinner. You can say, God, I'm a sinner. I have screwed up. That I have done a lot of messed up things. I have dishonored you. I've disobeyed you. I've rejected you. But now I want to be saved. You can say, I believe that you sent your son Jesus who was completely human. He lived a perfect life. Unlike I'm, uh, unlike I'm able to do. He lived a perfect life. He never messed up. He obeyed you in every single part of his life. And he did it on my behalf. I believe that he died on the cross and that he died on my behalf. That all of my sin was placed on him. I believe that. I accept that. And I believe that they buried him. He was truly dead. But that three days later, he rose from the dead. And he is alive forevermore right now, holding the keys of death and Hades. And I want Jesus. I want to be one of yours. And I want to have that victory over sin, death, and hell. I want to belong to you. I want to be one of yours. I want these dead bones to live. Have mercy on me, God, a sinner. Save me, Lord Jesus Christ. You can pray that right there in your own home and he will save you. And if you do pray, if you do pray for God to save you and you need to know what the next steps in your new Christian life are, please reach out to me. Shoot me an email. You can find that at the church website. Uh, shoot us a Facebook message if you're listening to this on Facebook. Just reach out to us some way. A lot of you have my cell phone number. You can, you can hit me there. I'm not going to post it online, but uh, if you've got it, give me a call. Um, I'd love to follow up with you there. I'm going to pray and then we have a few announcements and uh, I'll let you get back uh, to the rest of your day. Father, um, I pray for these men and women, these boys and girls that listen to this, Lord, that whatever they're afraid of, whatever the anxiety they may have in the world they're living right now, Lord Jesus, you didn't just ride in Jerusalem triumphant that day, Lord, that you are triumphant even today. Uh, the, the palms were waving, they were right then. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We, we confess that, we admit that, that Jesus, you are bigger than our fears, you are bigger than our doubts, and you have overcome them 
by the blood of your cross and by your resurrection on that first Easter Sunday. We love you and I pray you bless and protect these folks in this church and all these folks that are listening and watching right now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Give you a couple of announcements and then we will be done uh, for the day. Uh, first, I want you to check out stapletonbaptist.org. If you're not familiar with our website, that's where you can join our email list. Uh, you can find out news about cancellations. Hopefully, Lord willing, you can find out news about reopenings. Uh, you can keep track of events. We've got a book club there where we're reading Pilgrim's Progress over on the, the blog, so you can, you can find that and you can follow that. Uh, I really encourage you to go check out stapletonbaptist.org. Second, uh, if you're not catching this on Facebook and you use Facebook, you can find us on Facebook at Stapleton Baptist GA. That, you'll get all of our updates in real time there. We're thinking about doing something really cool uh, for Good Friday, so you'll see that on Facebook soon. You'll see that in, in your email. Uh, you'll see that anywhere, anywhere Stapleton messages are received. You'll know about that, but Facebook is your best location for breaking news, so uh, follow our page there. So those two announcements one more time are stapletonbaptist.org, uh, that's our website, and Stapleton Baptist GA on our Facebook. Final real quick announcement, uh, if you're a member of our church and you're interested in serving a vacation Bible school, you either need to contact me or Susan Lamb uh, as soon as possible and let us know that you're interested in serving. We're still planning on having it. When this stuff blows over, Still planning on having Vacation Bible School, so let us know um, so that we can go ahead and plan for you. Uh, I love you guys. Uh, y'all take care. Y'all stay safe. And uh, holler at us if you need something, all right? Stapleton loves Jesus, and Stapleton loves you. So um, y'all take care, uh, and we'll see y'all on Wednesday.